Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Most likely, he was born without the ability to use his legs is what they think. It was a luxury that he never would get the opportunity to have. Now, for this young man, as you grow, you know, you, you figure out other ways to manage, but it is certainly a burden on the family. Even though they would never show it, they would never show the young boy that it was a burden, but, but he knew. He knew that it was. Now, eventually, as the young boy became a man, and this, this really ability or perhaps disability would eventually mean that he'd have to figure out what it meant, what life would look like to him on his own. Now, I'm going to tell you that there wasn't much hope for a disabled man during these specific times. Really, the only options he had was to go into the city and beg and hope for the best. Now, of course, since he couldn't actually use his legs, He was at the mercy of whoever is willing to carry him, who is willing to move him from place to place. Now, sure, there were better days than others. People are generally generous. You know, uh, usually they'll put something in when they see him begging, and he can make enough to at least live and get by. And it would seem that this is how life is going to be. Perhaps something that maybe he even accepted and said, so be it. That is until a day when a kind person probably went over there and and moved him. He said, here, I'll, I'll carry you. And he moved him into a new area of town that he hasn't been in. An area that was filled with people like him, who looked like him who had the same problems and struggles as him. He noticed that these people were were waiting around a pool of water. They were just waiting there. And and then everyone, when he got there, he just seemed that everyone was just sitting by it, not jumping out, doing anything, as if they were waiting for something to happen. And then, to his surprise, it happened the water in the pool started to to bubble up. It started to stir around and get bubbling. And everyone immediately started to jump in and and try to get in as fast as possible. He even witnessed some some of them pushing them, other people out of the way just to jump in and to get in. And it looked like an absolute madhouse. Just chaos jumping into this pool. Those who were able to jump in before the bubbles disappeared left the pool, particularly the first one, but leave this pool filled with excitement 
and joy. They would usually run off from outside of the pool down the street, skipping and shouting for joy because they have been healed of whatever disease they may have. The rest, well, the rest who couldn't make it in just waited until the next time it happened. Out of the pool, back on the sidelines, and just wait. Whenever that would be. And so after talking to another local who's been there for a little while, the man was told that this was the pool of Bethesda, a healing pond that can cure any disease. And that, my friend, is as long as you are patient for when it to happen. So when the water starts to bubble, though it may be short and quick, that's when you start to make your run to the pool, my friend. Jump in and be the first to get in. Now this sounds amazing. This sounds like something I can get behind. Just wait here until some waters bubble up and I jump in and I'm healed? Sounds like a good deal. So filled with hope, the man decides that this is exactly where he needs to be. This is where I will sit and wait. It's just a matter of time, he thinks, before he himself will get the use of his old legs and he will be the one leaving Bethesda shouting and screaming for joy down the streets of Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word and to look into your scripture. Father, I pray that the words that come from here are only the gospel truth. That there's nothing I say that is from my own personal interpretation, but only, only your revelation. Father, if I say anything that's incorrect, that's not from you, then Lord, I want to be corrected on this spot. I only want to speak your truth, your truth, Lord, to your people. So, Father, this is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be examining the third sign or a miracle. The third sign or miracle that was performed by Jesus in the book of John. Now, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, uh, be it in person or online or even in a pod, whatever avenue it is, we welcome you. We're so excited to have you with us. And what we've been doing for the last two weeks anyway, is we've been traveling through John, talking about the seven signs or miracles that he performed in that book. Now, week one, of course, we all dived in and looked into when Jesus turned water into wine. We all know that one, and we know that that's the first one. And then last Sunday, we watched a deathly ill child on his deathbed be healed simply by the faith of the child's father. That the father just believed Jesus when he said it would be done. He just believed him at his word, and the child was healed instantly. May we all have faith like that. But our journey this week starts in John chapter 5 with another healing. Seems to be a lot of those. There seems to be a lot of sick, hurting people. And Jesus is going to perform another healing in a moment. But this one's a little different. This one's a tad unorthodox, if you will, just a little different than what he's done so far. 
It's not your typical healing story. Now, you may notice right off the bat, at least I did in, in chapter 5, when you, when you go from chapter 4, which is when the child was just healed. We just talked about that last week. But when you go into chapter 5, just the very next sentence, verse 1, you will notice that that, first, that verse starts with these three words. Some time later. Now, of course, you know, those words, curiosity, you know, they speak my curiosity. They, they, it's, I'm interested. Your captain was curious. Oh, what do these three words mean? Some time later. Are we talking about the next day? Was Jesus there the next day in Jerusalem, it says? Or maybe it was a month later, perhaps the following week. When was some time later? Well, I'm going to say that we aren't exactly sure. After I went through and I looked through all the research, we're not sure about the exact timeline of what some time later means. In fact, this sign, this miracle, what I was able to find, that when I looked at those three words some time later, and I looked at, it at the context of the other gospels, of, of, of the other three gospel writers, what I learned is that this one that we call the miracle three, sign three in the book of John, is actually not his third miracle when we add the context in from the other Gospels. We learn that it's actually the 18th sign or miracle that Jesus performed in his life at this point in time. So literally, quite literally, some time later means just that. He has been busy loving and caring and compassion on other people. In fact, let me just tell you real quick, let me just show you since, the, since chapter 4, just that little space, that blank space between chapter 4 and the beginning of 5, let me tell you what Jesus has done. He's drove out an, an evil spirit from a man. He healed Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. He spent the night healing anyone. I'm talking, this is amazing. He went into a city and he said, I will heal anyone who comes and waits in line. If you're patient and wait, I'll heal you. And it says that he was there all night long, all through the night. Healing just wouldn't stop coming. And he kept healing and healing. And then he cleansed the man from leprosy. He healed the centurion's paralyzed servants. He healed a paralytic from a roof drop. They brought him down and he healed him there. He healed a man's withered hands. He raised a widow's son from the dead. He calmed the storm with only two words. He cast out demons and threw them into a herd of pigs. He healed a woman with bleeding issues. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He gave sight back to two blind men. And he healed a man who wasn't able to speak and gave him a voice. And now, some time later, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Now, why is he there? What brings him to town? Well, the scripture says here that he was there for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, we don't know which one. It doesn't say. John doesn't actually give us the, the context of why they were there. It just says that he was there for the Feast of the Jews. It could be multiple reasons or festivals. But while Jesus was in town, while whatever the reasoning that brought him and his disciples to Jerusalem. When he was in town, because remember, he did spend most of his time in Galilee. But while he was there, Jesus decides 
to pop his head into an interesting area of town. He decides to go somewhere, or maybe a lot of people don't travel to. He decides to visit the pool of Bethesda. That was a pool that was believed to have healing capabilities for anyone who entered it. But there was a catch, you see. And they all knew this legend. They all knew what the catch was. You had to wait outside of the pool area until it started to bubble up like a jacuzzi. And then once it started to bubble up, the first one that jumped in would just be miraculously healed. And then they can leave from there brand new. The healing pool was located outside of the temple area. Or in other words, it, it wasn't around the holy stuff. It was outside the holy stuff. Most likely because of the type of crowd that this area brought in. You see, the healthy and the wealthy, they don't need to be healed. They don't need to be spending their time around some pools. And this or They may have other pools they may be spending around time in, but not this one. Not this healing one. So you wouldn't see them here. Instead, what you would find when you would walk into this area and probably come down the steps is you would find the sick and the dying, the unclean. You would find them there. And all of us, we, we know that area. We know that area. You know, the area of town you don't travel to. You know, that part of town. The one when the sun comes down, you kind of tend to not drive that direction, you know, that area. Well, I'm going to tell you that what I read in John chapter 5, that it was that part of town that Jesus decided to pop his head in. And when reading this story, when looking through this chapter, you may have noticed in your Bible, at least I didn't catch it at first. In fact, I can, I can honestly say that when I was reading through it and studying it, it, I, it, it stopped me and I had to go back and catch it a few times to make sure I just wasn't making this up. But you may have noticed if you open your Bible and you go to John chapter 5, you will notice that there is not a verse 4. It actually goes from verse 3 to verse 5. And I had to stop and reread that a few times. Now, I'll get to this in a minute. You see, this is not a typo or a printing error. Only a small handful of translations actually include verse 4. Yeah, see, you just saw it, didn't you? Lenny just went, oh my gosh, you're right. Thank you for validating that I'm not crazy. <laughs> All right, I feel good now. Lenny said I'm good. You're right, there is no verse 4. This is because when I started looking at that, I go, okay, why, why, why? Why is there not a verse 4 in this thing? And only a small handful included. This is because it was determined by actually many different biblical scholars that verse 4, only that one verse, verse 4 was added by another author in the second century who was not John. Just that one verse. John didn't write it. And there are many scholars who were able to validate that hypothesis. So most translations, including mine, skip it. It goes from 3 
to five. Because the outside author, whoever that was, he felt that when he was scribing or duplicating or copying or whatever, he felt that it was important for the audience, for you and me, to get some context about what's happening at the Pool of Bethesda. And John didn't provide it. He didn't write it. So he took it upon himself to throw it in there. So what does verse 4 say then? What does it say? Well, here, here's what it says. Verse 4. From time to time, an angel of the Lord will come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Verse 4. Well, that sounds amazing. Why wouldn't we want that in there? That sounds like a good... You're talking about God would send an angel down to come stir up the waters and be healed? Why wouldn't we want to include that verse in there? Well, let me tell you. Because there is absolutely zero biblical or historical evidence that anyone actually got healed from the pool of Bethesda. Not one. There is zero evidence, biblical or historical, that God would send an angel down at random to a pool to heal those who were physically able to jump in for the first time, knocking and destroying your neighbor's past so you can be the one. In fact, once I started looking at this, it turns out that this idea, this belief, isn't even Jewish. This, none of it was. It was all completely Greek. The entire legend, the whole mythology was all Greek. This was something that the Jewish ancestors picked up from the Greeks when they spent their time with them. They started adapting these different ideas and theologies and mythologies and started including it in their own. You see, the Greeks believed that one of their gods would use designated pools as healing pools or ponds for those who jumped in. But I want to tell you that there is not one thing written in the entire Torah or the whole of Scripture that such an act or belief exists from God. That God would use this tactic. Could he? Absolutely he could. But I'm going to find out here in a minute what was his other method, his preferred method. And in fact, I got curious. Captain started looking at them. What caused the bubbles? You know? Was it some people just poured in some mineral water in there? What have we got going on? What caused the bubbles? Well, actually, about the 19th century, in Jerusalem, outside of the city gate, they have uncovered the Pool of Bethesda. They've been able to excavate and go down and look at it. You can stand there. And a couple years ago, we went to Israel, and we were able to actually stand there ourselves. And here's what they found, is that in this pool area, there was an actual natural spring, underground spring, that ran to the pool area, and what those bubbles were, were a completely natural air that got stuck from the water flow into the spring. And it was just air that came up and just came to the top. It was air. But the Greek mythology said that it was one of their gods. And jump in, because they can heal you. Well, let me tell you what we're actually seeing here. It's easy for us today to go look at those guys and go, man... Medicine sure has come a long way, hasn't it? Yeah, looking at bubbling water. 
But let me tell you what we're actually witnessing here that's quite the same. It's that we're seeing as God's people, his chosen, those who call upon his name, that when they're hurt and sick, that they're putting all their faith and other beliefs for one simple reason. Hope. Just hope. That's what we're watching. That's what we're seeing. All day. That's what the scripture says. All day. All night. They would just wait. These people would come to the pool of Bethesda and they would just wait. There is no life. There's nothing else. They would just wait. And they would stare at the water. They want to make sure they catch it when it happens. They can't see anything else. All their energy, all their focus is on that one thing. I have to wait until it bubbles. Waiting for that first sight. They didn't want to miss it. They didn't want to miss their one chance. Maybe, maybe it was them this time. They get to jump in first. And people arrived historically at this area, at this pool, filled with hope. Feel that this is it. This is my chance to be, to be healed and to be able to be once again whole. And over time, what we see in the scripture, including on this day, is that their hope turns to anger and bitterness. To the point that they would even, they would even turn their own back on their brothers just so that they could be the first ones in. This is my turn. You can't get in this time. I've been waiting here for so long. And it was right here. This is where we find John chapter 5. That while their eyes were on the water, staring and waiting for their moment, happening over here, entered a man down the steps. It was Jesus. And he stood there. And he can see all of them looking and staring at the water. All of them filled with hope or maybe hopelessness. And there he is. And among them, Jesus spots this one kind of sitting right over there. He wasn't right by the pool. He was just a little off. And Jesus saw him. And he walked over to him. And he was just there. And Jesus comes up to him. And the scripture says that that this man that Jesus walked up to, that he hasn't been able to use his, his legs in 38 years. 38 years he's been doing that. My time's got to be coming. My time has to be coming. This man's been there for years just watching the water because he's never been able to make it in time. It always stopped. He was never the first one. And Jesus went to this man and he asked him one simple question. He approached him and just said, he didn't even introduce himself. That's what's crazy. He didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't, introduce, he didn't, he didn't give any credentials whatsoever. This man doesn't know. To the man, Jesus is only another stranger who hasn't helped him into the water. That's who he is. And Jesus just says and asks him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? 
And the response, he responds back. Who probably still, by the way, has his eyes on the water, not on this stranger who's not going to do anything for him. And his response was interesting. He didn't tell Jesus, yes. Are you kidding me? I have been here for like 30 years. Yeah, I like to be healed. Are you going to be the one who's going to carry me to the water? And he didn't tell him, no. No, I don't want to be healed. Thanks for asking them. He responded with the only thing that made sense to him. The only response that he knew to give to a guy who asked a silly question like that. You see, the man's anxiety, his depression, his hopelessness only allowed him to see what was directly in front of him. He couldn't see a better tomorrow. He couldn't see past right now. What's happening right now? His eyes remained on the water while Jesus was only feet away from him. And the man, he just simply replied, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, while I'm trying to make my way when it's happening, somebody else gets in front of me. They hold me back. They push me to the side and I'm not strong enough to get in. I can never make it. I can never make it. And in this right here, without a question, without a doubt, it's not written, but I can feel the heart of this man. And I imagine this is where the man wants Jesus to say, I'll wait with you. I will bring you to the water. I'll be the one. I'll sit right here, right next to you until the next time it happens. And I, I will hold you the whole time. And when it starts to, to bubble, and, and I'll, I'll bring you there. I'll kick everyone out of the way. And I'll be the one to make sure you get your healing. See, it even may, if, if Jesus had said that to him, if he said those words, I would argue that it would actually bring hope into this man's life. I think his hope would be renewed. It would be something he's been waiting for someone to say. I hope for years someone would be saying these things. It even may cure, by the way, his anxiety and his depression. But if Jesus agreed to do that, if he actually agreed to say, I will wait with you, I will hold, I will carry you into the water. If he actually agreed to do that, the only thing the man would be getting that day is false hope. Which don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. False hope can feel really good sometimes. It can. And when we're at our worst moments, in our darkest places, we can even receive false hope as a welcome blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this. But I'm here this morning to tell you this. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what he did. He didn't wait with him. He didn't pick up the man. He didn't move him closer to the water. Jesus does not give you false hope. He doesn't give us false hope. There was nothing real waiting for the man in the water. 
What Jesus offers is real. It's real love, real compassion, real healing. Jesus tells the man right then and there. He didn't say, hold on. Let me tell you who I am. You don't know who you're speaking to. Let me tell you my credentials now, why I asked the question. Still completely out of faith, he tells the man, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Walk. And here's what it is. He's telling him, get your eyes off those distractions, off that other stuff. Get your eyes off of that and turn them to me. Look at me. I'm right here. I can give you something real. That is fake. There's nothing there for you. But what I have is real. We're done with this Greek mythology stuff. Get up and walk. And scripture says that immediately, not some time later, but while Jesus was standing there, that the man was cured at once. And after 38 years of not being able to use his legs, he stood straight up tall for the first time. And he looked at him. And Jesus said, pick up your mats. You're not going to need that anymore. That's not your home. This is not where you belong. And the man picked up his mats. And he walked away from the pool. He walked away that day. I'm sure dancing and screaming and skipping just as he thought he would one day, but not because of the water, but because of the healer, because of the Messiah who came in. There was no magic wands. There was no say these and then you can do, be healed. Jump in and do this, do a backflip, you got this. All it was, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. There's no water, no bubbles, no false hope from him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. For the rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me, he says. We don't need that water to heal or tell us who Jesus is. For when we believe in him, we will be filled with living water. The waters will flow from his church, he says. His people, he says. And let me tell you what that means. Is that as people in this world are right now staring for false hope, they're looking for answers and for solutions in areas that aren't going to give them any. But right now on this earth, his church, you and I, are filled with living water. We're filled with it. And then, and then we, you and I, have this opportunity to go and bring it to the world. That we could... Don't look at that water. This, this water won't do anything. But I have something that will never make you thirsty again. Living water. Jesus is standing in front of you right now. In front of us. In front of me. But I want to say that so many. And I'm not, I'm not exempt from this. I'm flesh and blood. Many of us, including myself at times, have turned our eyes off of him and we stuck it on fear and anger and anxiety and depression, failing bodies, tragedies. We tend to focus 
on hopelessness. And this morning, I'm going to tell you, there is no road to hope there. There is no road to healing there. There's also no road to forgiveness there. That what Jesus did that day at Bethesda wasn't a one-time deal. It wasn't for us to read thousands of years later saying, at one time, Jesus used to do this stuff. Amen. It's there to say that Jesus was there before, he was there then, and he's there now. He can do this stuff now. Now I'm going to tell you my opinion where I fall in. So this is not scripture. Is that I believe God can still do the miraculous and the miracle just like he did for the man at the pool that day. That I believe that one, that, that what, what reason rhyme? Well, I don't know. I'm not God. But I know I've seen it happen. But I also believe, wholeheartedly believe, that God can work through miracles through today's medicine and doctors and nurses who can use God. God uses them. In our most time, when we're stuck on anxiety and depression, sometimes God surrounds us with nurses and doctors to speak hope into us that there's truth, there's life, there's, there's a way in Him. God works how God works. And from what I read, it's not through bubbling water. Even though he could, I guess. But our God is real. And you know that. And I know that. But we need to let them know that. Our God is real. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.